And good morning to all. Let, let me try it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right. Yes. Some people ask how many people are here. There's eight people here. Everybody has a job. There's nobody that just showed up to say, hey, I want to do it in person. Everybody here is here because they had a, a job. And uh, they're all doing their part. And um, But uh, this is a wonderful day. We have uh, a day of resurrection. And uh, I, I saw this morning on YouTube, it was a group of Koreans in South Korea. There were four of them in a car, and they were singing away. Uh, on their way, I guess, to Easter service. I don't know if they have it there in South Korea. Or maybe they posted, reposted it from last year. But it, was, uh, it really took the joy uh, of this day. And as Philip said a minute ago, that um, there, there is no other greater day in the year than this day. Everything hinges on the resurrection of Christ. And, uh, and so um, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the story itself because it's impactful. Just retelling the story is sufficient. But um, also to take a look at why it is so very, very important. And uh, today we're going to look in Matthew 28 uh, at the first 10 verses. And I'll just tell you, the entire story here takes place in a graveyard. Now, growing up as a kid, we had a lot of funny jokes, stories about graveyards. You know, one of, one of the ones that uh, was told in my family pretty regularly was, you know, this is back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, you know, a couple of boys... Uh, went into somebody's yard at night and stole a bunch of walnuts from the tree. And they had their gunny sack of walnuts, and, uh, and they were going to divide them up, and so they ran into the graveyard. And they had their lantern there, and uh, they were hiding sort of behind a, a rather large stone, and, and uh, the one guy was counting them out, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. And uh, an old drunk uh, in town, the well-known drunk sort of stumbles in and leans up against a, a gravestone and hears, one for you, one for me, and sees this glow coming out of the graveyard. And he freaks out, drops his bottle, and starts running out of the graveyard and, and bumps into another drunk who is sort of stumbling towards the graveyard. He said, you better get out of here. God and the devil are counting out the people. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It may not be funny anymore. Uh, it was when I was a kid. Of course, we were much closer to the 1800s when I was a kid, so maybe that's why. But uh, yeah, th this is rather interesting because uh, this incredible story that changes everything in the history of man. We have our entire dating system, B.C., up to the cross of Christ, A.D., after the death of Christ. All of human history's dating system is pointing to this moment. All the history of mankind is revolving around this moment of the death, but more importantly, the resurrection of Christ. 
And so we come to Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, at the first day of the week, began to draw, and it began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. So it was after the Sabbath, after Saturday. It was the first day of the week, the eighth day, Sunday. You know, everything breaks down into groups of seven, and in eight begins the new beginning. And so it's the day of new beginnings. And, and we get into the book of Acts and Corinthians, and, and this is we discover, not directly, but just indirectly, that the Christians were worshiping on Sunday for this very reason. And the other reason is we don't have a Sabbath to keep. Somebody, some people say, oh, you, you know, we're going to worship on the Sabbath. Sunday is not the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Saturday, and it's for the Jews. And Paul says clearly in Colossians that when Christ hung on the cross, he, he died with the law. We have no Sabbaths, new moons, festivals, circumcisions. All the Old Testament law was fulfilled in Christ. He died paying for the fulfillment of the law, so we no longer are under the law. And so, no, we, we don't have a Sabbath. We have traditions. And uh, those traditions can be kept or not kept. It doesn't make one righteous or unrighteous. Uh, we have a tradition of meeting on, on Sunday. But I know certain places in the world, uh, the weekends, they're a vacation village. And Saturday, Sunday are their biggest days of the week. They got to work. They got thousands of people in their little community. And so their day of Sabbath is Wednesday or Thursday. And, uh, and that's the way it's been for hundreds of years, thousands of years in some places, because uh, of where it's at. So you say, oh, you got to worship on Sunday. It would be ridiculous for them to try to worship on Sunday when that's the day their restaurant or their grocery store or, or their bike rentals or whatever is the biggest. So we're not under a law. There's not one day that's more special than the other. Today is Easter. There's a lot of people tagging up with God, you know. Hey, I'm going to go to Easter and Christmas because, you know, I don't want God to forget me. And, uh, hey, I'm still on your side, God, and I'm doing a little tag up here. And they, they've sort of made this uh, day sacred to, 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 you know, wonder and ask God if they're still, you know, connected and in and, and good standing. And, uh, you know, I, I think that it's better than nothing, but... I think the Lord wants to be worshipped a lot more than, than just a couple times a year. You know, weekly at least, of course, every day is a special day. Every day is the resurrection day, right? Every day we celebrate that Christ paid for our sins and we can come boldly to his throne of grace and ask for mercy and grace. But we love this picture, and that's why we have sunrise services often. Um, it's, it's horrible to, to nighttime people. It's just like, oh, i got to go to a sunrise service. It's just miserable. I hate Easter. You know, this is miserable. I like, I like Fourth of July because it all happens at nighttime, and I'm a nighttime person. But there are those morning people. Boy, they love the sunrise service. Woo, this is the best thing. But then guys like me that are not morning people, it's, it's sort of like, okay, I'll make all those people happy. But it's uh, rather miserable for me. But e- either way, um, I, I, do th- I do wake up on Easter Sunday morning with joy, 
I love the beautiful colors that we paint uh, the eggs with and decorate things with. Just bright, clear, pastel colors that are just gorgeous. And um, these ladies are going to the tomb. We, we do know there's more than just these ladies. There are other women also. And in Luke 24, 1, it says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb to bring spices, which they had prepared. So the real reason they were going was not inquisitiveness or to stand outside the tomb and cry. They were going to do what they couldn't do because it was the Sabbath uh, during uh, the time when uh, they wanted to, um, because it wasn't Saturday, excuse me, but it was considered a day of rest. It was a holy day because of the Passover that was there on Friday. So they couldn't embalm his body. They couldn't cover his body with spices as they normally did. So they're going to say, hey, it's three days late, but it's better than nothing. Uh, Let's go do his body now. In Mark 16, 3 said, uh, they were thinking amongst themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? So, you know, this this is something that women would do. You know, they just have a strong sense. We've got to do it. Serious logistics. I mean, they say it takes 12 to 16 men to move this stone. It's early in the morning. It's barely light. And and they're just going to sort of wing it to, to see if they can get somebody to, to, to move this stone, which would have been a very difficult thing to do. But um, as it turned out, their intuition was absolutely correct. Uh, it was taken care of the time they got there. In verse 2 to 4 now of Matthew 28, Behold, there was a great earthquake. And the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And John, it doesn't say he just rolled it back. It literally is he thrust it. And and many believe he actually picked up the stone and laid it on top. That it wasn't rolled to the side. It was laid on top. And he's sitting up there on top of that round disc um, on top of things. And um, his countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Earlier in Matthew 27, the Pharisees went to Pilate and said, Hey, this guy Jesus said he was going to raise from the dead on the third day. Do you mind putting some Roman soldiers out there? And the minimum would have been about 15 of them. And these guys were... You know, green, green berets, they were Navy SEALs. I mean, these guys were the toughest of the toughest. And uh, they were going to make sure that nobody tampered with it. And you got to remember that in the Roman uh, guard, if, if you had something to guard and it was broken into, it'd be a death sentence. So this is serious business for them. And all of a sudden, there's this earthquake. And, and it appears to me this angel is a bit of a character. You know, I think this guy is sort of like a stand-up comedian in heaven. You know, he thunders down. And everything place is shaking. He grabs that thing, throws it up on top. He's sitting up, there's legs crossed. You know, got a piece of, you know, toothpick. And da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, he's up there having a good time with it. The soldiers, these tough guys, before this 
it tells us that they, they look like young men, you know, no, no armor on, no sword probably. And, and these guys are all pretending to be dead. They're all pretending to act like I'm dead or sleeping or whatever it was. They, they were in total fear, these macho Roman soldiers. And, and they were terrified to even open their eyes at what was going on. That had happened beforehand. Now the ladies are on their way. Da-da-da, who's going to roll the stone? I have no idea. I just know we're supposed to be there. You know, let's not quibble over little details like we need 16 guys to move the stone. Um, we got our spices here, um, which tells us they fully believed he was going to be there. Sort of interesting. They fully believed they were going to see the body of the Lord. Well, in verse 5 now, in verse 6, the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. We're going to discover at this point the Roman soldiers had taken off, and they come on the scene, No, nothing there, there's no door, and then they notice this young man sitting up there. They'll discover a minute it's an angel, but he, he says, hey, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Oh, okay, who are you? He is not here. Listen to this. This is an important statement. For he is risen as he said. Ooh, a little bit of a scold there. You shouldn't have been thinking you would find Jesus here. Because he made it pretty clear he wouldn't be here on the third day. Just like he said he wouldn't be here, he's not here. But come and see the place where the Lord lay. Come on in. And of course, it's one of those places you can go in Israel today. Uh, it's called Gordon's Tomb. I, I love going to it. Fully believe it's the actual place that Jesus laid. A lot of reasons for that. But you can go into that tomb today and look around and see where Jesus lay. It, we have communion there, worship time. It, it's just, even just thinking about it gives me goosebumps. It's so crazy powerful. Of course, Muslims can go to the tomb of Muhammad. Buddhists can go to the tomb of Buddha. Communists can go to the tombs of Stalin and, and Lenin. There's a lot of religions in the world, and, and, and they do have tombs with the bones of their dead god, hero, prophet, leader. But you go to the tomb of Jesus to this day, and it is still empty. <laughs> he is risen. I love this. Just as he said. You know, maybe some of you guys don't recall how many times Jesus said he would raise on the third day and how clearly, emphatically, he said this. Let's go and just look in Matthew alone. You know, earlier in Matthew, I don't have it here in my notes, but he, he told them, in Matthew 12, just like Jonah was three days in the belly of the earth, so the Son of Man, or was in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man would be three days in the belly of the earth. I didn't put it there because he didn't say, like Jonah, I'll raise out of that. He didn't say I'd raise from the dead. But he, he had said this repeatedly. In Mark 16, Matthew 16, 21, 
From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. In Matthew 17, 22 to 23, now while they were standing in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. And it says they were exceedingly sorrowful. So they got the fact that he was dying, but it didn't compute to them. On the third day, he would raise from the dead. In Matthew 20, verse 17 to 19, Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And on the third day, he will rise again. A matter of fact, you think, oh, oh, a handful of the inner circle Jesus said this to. No. Jesus had said this to many different groups, the different size groups. And this was something that was front page news. It was very clearly known in the large group that on the third day he would rise again. A matter of fact, in Matthew 27, verse 62 to 64, we see the Pharisees had knowledge of this. And, and we see this was, again, public knowledge that Jesus had said this. On the next day, which had followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together the pilot, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how the deceiver said, we remember, we heard it ourselves. Wow. So there must have been a time that Jesus just out and out said it publicly. They seem to say, I have firsthand knowledge of this. That he, this deceiver said, after three days, I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Wow, they knew it, this would be crazy powerful if Jesus' body isn't there on the fourth day. Now, we go on in Matthew 28, verse 11. These guards go to the chief priest. They didn't go to Pilate, because that'd probably be a death sentence. And they basically went to the chief priest saying, help us, cover for us. We are in a pickle, because his body's gone. We failed what happened? He said, man, the angel of the Lord came. You know, they had the whole story, but they didn't think the Romans would buy it. <laughs> so what story should we say? And the Pharisees said, just say why you were in a deep sleep. The disciples came and sold them away. Let me tell you something about being in a deep sleep. You don't know what's going on. I mean, it's sort of a ridiculous story. And, and, and somehow this is going to be okay when it goes to Pilate. Uh, this is going to be an excuse. Oh, well, you guys fell asleep. You were tired. Yeah, I, I get it. I, I get it that you failed to guard the tomb that we told. You know, it, it, this, is, this is scary stuff. But yet, I just want to make it clear there that this was not just the inner circle of a handful of apostles that knew about this. Not only 
was it to the 70 or the 500 followers? This was public knowledge that Jesus said he would die, be crucified, and raise again on the third day. A matter of fact, in the Gospel of John, way back at the very beginning, when these apostles were completely clueless, they had just, they hadn't even, you know, got into the introductory uh, Jesus teaching seminar yet, you know. Um, the Jews, in, in John 2, verse 18, the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us uh, since you do these things? He had cleansed the temple, turning over the money changing tables and so forth. And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. And the Jews said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days. He was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. Now, let's make it clear here. Jesus said ahead of time, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over to various leaders until it gets to the Romans. They're going to actually do the actual work. Um, but it's, everybody's guilty uh, of this. And I am going to be crucified. I am going to die. And on the third day, I'm going to raise again. That's what Jesus said. Now, that's ludicrous. It's a lie. Or it's true. Now, let's just say that you want to say, well, I don't believe in the resurrection stuff. That's a myth. That's a fairy tale. That's something that Christians like to believe. But I do believe, as a sociologist, I do believe as a good moral person, Jesus' teachings are the greatest moral teachings. I hold to the teachings of Jesus. Forgive your enemy. Love your enemy. Do good to those. You know, you look at the teachings of Jesus. They, they're superior moral teachings. Gandhi thought so. Um, there's... there's you know, it's hard to ignore them. The Muslims can't ignore them. They have to say, well, Jesus is one of our prophets because you can't ignore the teachings of Jesus. You, you have many false religions claiming that Jesus was somehow connected to their false religion because Jesus' teachings are so pronounced. There's nothing like them. But can such powerful good teachings come from a man who was so delusional, so insane, that he believed he would raise on the third day. So can you have both? Was Jesus a good teacher who was insane? Or can you have a good teacher who was just a liar? Or the whole thing was figured out in advance. He would die. He had worked out with his apostles that they would steal his body and perpetrate this then Jesus is a deceiver. Can you have a good teacher, a good moral man who's a liar, lunatic, deceiver? No, you can't. You got to either throw out everything Jesus said or accept everything Jesus said. And the fact is, is if Jesus did die and raise again and he told the truth, he wasn't crazy, then you got to say, He's more than just a good moral teacher. He is what he claimed to be, God's son, 
God who came in human flesh. There are many men through history who were atheists, who hated Christianity, who realized all I have to do is prove Jesus didn't raise from the dead, and I destroy the foundations of Christianity. You have some men many years ago, like uh, Dr. Greenleaf, Simon Greenleaf, he wrote a book. He set out to, to prove it, end up becoming a Christian. In modern times, you have Josh McDowell, who again, atheist, who set out, end up becoming a Christian, and, and, and many others, because they knew that if they could destroy the myth of resurrection, then they could destroy Christianity. They end up becoming Christians and writing books. In the beginning of the book of Acts, the writer Luke says, there are many infallible proofs proving the resurrection. And there are, and I'm not going to go into that today. That's a whole hour-long study in and of itself. But he is risen just as he said, and he is risen. But understand, there is no Christianity if he is not risen. It all does hinge on this. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 15, where the Corinthians were saying, oh yeah, we don't believe in resurrection. And Paul says, you guys as pagans used to have a part of your practice where you would be baptized on behalf of the dead. You believed in resurrections as non-believers. Why are you having a hard time now as believers not believing in the resurrection? Well, it doesn't seem intellectual. Paul did talk about that in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. He goes, yeah, I realize that the message of the cross is foolishness to the Jew and it's a stum- or to the Gentile, and it's a stumbling block to the Jew. But to those who believe, it's the wisdom of the, and the power of God. But then later on in this book, now in chapter 15, verse 12, he writes this. If Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead and Christ is not risen, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. It's in vain. Our faith is also empty. It's in vain. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he, if he whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. And in verse 16, and if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also there are those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If all we're doing is living as Christians in this life, Paul says it's not worth it. Go eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow you die and you just become dust. You become fertilized, fertilizer for the grass to grow greener and, and cows to eat from. Al, Al, he makes it clear there, guys, if there is no resurrection, all of Christianity becomes empty, vain, false. None of it is true. But indeed, Christ is risen. Well, back in Matthew 28, verse 7 now, he says there, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. If indeed he is going before you into Galilee, 
There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb, listen, with fear and great joy. Boy, talking about a mixture of feelings here. I don't know if I've ever had fear and great joy at the same time. And they ran to bring his disciples the word. So I want to go back here a minute. So the angel, the first thing he says to them is don't be afraid. So they were, ah, they, they, they sensed fear, probably much like the, the guards did. Of course, they were non-believers. It was a different level of fear of, of being a non-believer. But even as believers, they sensed the opposite, the awesomeness. They had had the earthquake in the morning. Now they see this, the tomb is open. They see this young man sitting up there. They, they sense something. They sense the presence of God. They sense the glory of heaven. And, and, and instead of having just an awe, they are truly afraid. And he says, no, don't be afraid. Just as he said he's risen, come and see where he lay. And then after they checked out the tomb, he says, now go and tell quickly the disciples. And, and just like Jesus said, he's going to be meeting them all in Galilee. So they quickly start to go, but they're, they're trembling. Their knees are shaking. They're, they're, oh man, I'm so happy, but I'm so afraid still. And Jesus doesn't want them to go to the disciples like this. So now Jesus himself meets them. So on their way from the tomb, obeying the instructions of the angels, they're now stopped by Jesus in verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, what? Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Same exact message the angel had said. But this time coming from Jesus, he tells them, I want the message of the resurrection to be proclaimed, but I don't want it proclaimed with fear. Understand, the resurrection should dispel all fear. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? What's Jesus saying every year we stop to celebrate resurrection? Don't be afraid. You know, if I were to go back in all the years of preaching, the decades of Easter's, I, I, got, a, I got a feeling about every Easter we were being told to be afraid. I mean, I think of the Y2K. Boy, people were terrified by the Y2K. Of course, there's after the 9-11. The following year, we were afraid because we we're going to get destroyed by terrorists. Then we were told after the 9-11, there's going to be a depression, a recession, an inflation. I, I got a feeling most years that I have lived on this earth, I've been told there's going to be another depression, a recession, or an inflation. And I mean, eventually they got to be right, right? 
And, and guess what? We have had Easter's in recessions. I've seen them. I mean, we're, we're talking where like 70% of the church I pastored in San Diego was out of work. It was horrible. I, I had to go to the church every morning at, you know, 7 o'clock and, and tell all the men to come, and we're just going to pray until God gives them jobs and help them not to be afraid and to be strong. And, and that went on for several months until eventually the group got smaller and smaller and smaller until they all got jobs back. Not as good as they had had with Roar and General Dynamics and, and, and Teledyne Ryan and so forth. They had the big companies making big paychecks, but not as much, but I don't know. Of course, 2008, that was a big one. When I was 12 years old, that was probably the biggest inflation time we ever had with Carter. Remember that? Where we had to, you had to go get gas every other week according to your license plate number, odd or even or whatever, and even then you would set for hours, hopefully to get some gas, and it was incredibly expensive. Do you guys remember these things? Out, out of all of these things, guess what happened? We survived. Well, now the coronavirus. Ah, this is going to be the big one that does us in. <laughs> guess what? Easter time. Guess what's happening? The flowers are still blooming. The birds are still chirping. The grass is still growing. The fruit still producing on the trees. All the, all the um, chickens are laying eggs still. Cows are still mooing. Guys, we're going to be going through so many things in these last days. Earthquakes, famines, pestilence. Over in Africa, they've had locusts over there for several months. And now the COVID on top of that. That's bad. We're not there. People in the world got a lot worse than we do. And, and a month diet for everybody in America, and we are a fat country. God just says, I'm going to bless all you guys. How, God? Oh, you're going to have to fast. You can't eat. You can't eat as much as you usually. You know, probably a healthier thing. People start feeling better, and they can make two pair of pants out of one pair of pants, and yeah, don't be afraid, guys. You know why? Because it doesn't matter what happens. Christ is risen from the dead. You are forgiven of your sins. Jesus Christ took every one of your sins upon himself. All the past sins, all the way to Adam and Eve, all the future sins, which the last one will probably be mine, knowing me, and all the sins in between. And he paid for them. And, and we are going to heaven as a gift of God. Not as our works. Not because we deserve it. Not because we're some special holy person. But because Christ raised from the dead. We are forgiven. Christ took all our sins upon him. But he didn't conquer them until the resurrection. But because he raised from the dead, it's a sign that the Father has accepted the sacrifice of our high priest, Jesus. It's been accepted. 
because Jesus raised from the dead. And now we can be certain that our sins have been paid for, been accepted as a worthy sacrifice, an acceptable sacrifice, past, present, future sins. All our sins were future when Christ died on the cross, right? 2,000 years in advance. Because he was man, he could be a substitute for man. Because he was God, his substitution was good for all men for all times, eternal. And so now by believing in him, well, but, 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 but what if we don't have any gas and we got to walk? We're still going to go to heaven. <laughs> but, but what if all the money disappears and we have no money at all? We're still going to go to heaven. Up there, the streets are paved with gold, the asphalt in heaven. Angels are looking at us with our little gold necklaces going, ew, asphalt. What is that? These guys, they, they have no idea what's going on on earth. I mean, they are just weird. Wearing asphalt around their necks. Ugh. Things are going to be far superior. But, but, but what if I die from the coronavirus? Anybody want to guess? We're going to heaven. You know what? The Bible told us, don't worry about tomorrow, what we're going to eat or drink or wear. And be honest, in America, we've never really had to take them up on that. We never really, even as the poorest American, we can always get some clothes somewhere. We can always get some food somewhere. We can always find a place to sleep somewhere in, in relative safety. And... Um, you know, the fact is, is that we may actually have to take the Lord up on that one. <laughs> where we really do have no prospects of where we're going to lay our head. We really have no prospects of food. We really do have no prospects of clothes. And get the watch the Lord provide. Like Elijah, he might bring a raven out of heaven <laughs> and drop some food for us. Or maybe... Like the children of Israel, he'll rain some manna just for you around where you're sleeping at night. Or maybe we'll ha he'll have us go catch a fish and find a coin in it. I mean, God, God doesn't have to repeat himself. You know, I love going to airports and just sitting and people watch. And I'm just like, I've never seen a nose like that before. Never seen a face like that before. That's a hairdo I've never seen before. And, of course, we know DNA and fingerprints. God doesn't got to repeat himself. He's an infinite God with an infinite mind. And so eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has entered the heart of the man the way the Lord is going to take care of us. But worst case scenario, we die and we go to heaven. Guys, we have nothing to fear Go, come see, Jesus is risen. Go and tell. We have all victory. We have no more fear. Christ is risen. I, I find that in, in Romans 7, they were fearful because I'm evil. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. Oh, I'm freaked out. Who will save me from this body of flesh? Thanks be through Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be through Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Did he just answer the question? I guess so. Jesus. Who will save me? Jesus. Jesus got it all worked out. He didn't really answer the question. He just said, we got Jesus. And guess what? We've got a resurrected Jesus. And that's why it says in Romans 8, verse 1, there's now no condemnation those in Christ. You have no fear. Christ is never going to condemn you. In Romans 8, 28, for we know, it doesn't say we're going to see it, we're going to feel it, we're going to rejoice in it, but we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? Let's just say that in this coronavirus season, one person comes to know the Lord that wouldn't come to know the Lord unless the whole nation went through this. Are you up for the coronavirus? Let me tell you. Cheryl was telling me the other day that the president said, I'm going to watch, it was Palm Sunday, I believe. I'm going to watch Greg Laurie live streaming from the White House. And millions of Americans said, I don't know who Greg Laurie is, but I'm going to go do what the president's doing. And how many people came to Christ? Over 11,000 people Googled in or wrote in or emailed in, texted in. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I don't know how, but 11,000 people said, I was not a Christian, but after hearing Greg Laurie, I'm giving my life to Christ. Some were saying I was an atheist, that I believe in Christ, and I gave my life to him in one Sunday. And of course, now we have today. I think people are, are, are thinking differently. I think without the zzzz, they're having to stop and think, and their brains are getting clear. Their bodies aren't so exhausted. They're not, they're not able to just sort of go in this trance and this, you know, like out-of-body experience, you know, go to this sporting event, go pick up the kids, take them to music lessons, go buy groceries, clean the house, make dinner, clean up, go to bed, do this, do that. They're, they're now stopped. And guess what? When you're stopped, the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit can be heard. And for us as Christians, we should roll with everything. There's going to be an inflation. Okay, great. Because it's not the money I have that I'm trusting in. Paul tells that, right, in 1 Timothy 6, don't trust in the uncertainty of riches. Now you know why. He didn't have a Tao, but he was prophesying it. Roller coaster, woo. Oh, man, praise the Lord. Oh, God help me. Ah, praise the Lord. You can't trust in that. You can do what you can for retirement. Probably won't be enough. Most people, it's not enough. You try and try, and, and then you finally get there, and you get the 2008. <laughs> you get the Bernie Madoffs in the world. <laughs> Shoot those guys. You get inflation that just takes your money and reduces it down to a penny. It's okay, guys. What are we worried about? Well, I'm 60 years old, and I might have to live the next 10, 15 years in a, an apartment. You've got a mansion in heaven. Streets are gold up there, guys. We're going to have a horse that flies. Do, do we really care? 
if you're stuck in some little crummy apartment, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. All that matters is that I know that God has my body to be where it's supposed to be on this planet Earth. Little money, lots of money, it doesn't matter. God's got providing for me. He's going to do it. Don't be afraid. Whatever your circumstances that come, and there are going to be tribulations. There's going to be trials. I guarantee it. I don't care if you're a multi-billionaire. You're going to have trials. And, and we know that fortunes can be won and fortunes can be lost just as easily, just as quickly. But we don't have to worry about that. God's going to turn it all around for good. In Romans 8, 31 to 35, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That's what the resurrection speaks of. God gave his son. And if he didn't hold back his own son, what else is going to withhold from us? If he didn't withhold his only begotten son, he's going to freely give us all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. He did it by raising Jesus from the dead. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. There it is. And even at the right hand of God who makes intercessions for us. In Hebrews, it says he ever lives to make intercessions for us. That's the highlight of his day is to make intercessions for us. In verse 35 of Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, COVID-19, COVID-19 separating anybody from Christ? Of course not. Persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. In Romans 8, 37, yet in all these things we are not just conquerors, what? We are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, and I would say this, who raised from the dead for us. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life. I'm not afraid of death. I'm afraid of life. The inflation's going to come. I'm going to run out of money. I'm afraid of life. Angels, principalities, powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Don't be afraid, guys. Don't be afraid of things present and don't be afraid of things to come. God will give us grace where Paul says, in my weakness, God's strength is perfected. I'll rejoice in infirmities and in persecutions, sicknesses. I'll rejoice in them because as God puts me in a situation, as he said in 1 Corinthians 4, I'm poorly clothed. To this hour, the angels look at us and are in shock. We're hungry, poorly clothed. We're going through a lot. We don't care. We don't care. Because in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. Neither height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And of course, in Matthew 28, the very last verse of the most important gospel, the first gospel, the gospel to the Jews, the, the gospel must first come to the Jews and the Gentiles. The very last verse of the most important gospel has to be the most important. And what's the very last line in Matthew 28, the second part of verse 20? And lo, I am with you 
always, even to the end of the age. Do I get amen for that? Amen. So guys, the Christian gospel is a very simple gospel. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, he says this in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which you also receive. That's what you have to do with the gospel, receive it. In which you stand. You go from faith to faith. You receive it, and then you keep believing and walking in it, standing in it. By which you are also saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I deliver you first of all, which I also have received. Here it is. The second part of verse 3 and and verse 4 is the entire gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's it. Number one, Christ died according to our sins. The second thing is, and that he was buried. There's the second thing. Christ died for our sins. He died on the cross, bearing our sins. He was also, was buried. Here's the third thing. He rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. That's it. If you will receive that, you can have eternal life. There's salvation. Well, I'd sure like to share the gospel. I just don't know enough. Let me help you. Christ died carrying our sins. He he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of Christ. Secondly, he was buried. It tells us he had no money. A rich man gave him a borrowed tomb. Joseph of Arimathea went and put him there. He was dead for three days. And on the third day, this is the third thing, third thing, third day, easy to remember, He rose from the dead. He goes on to say, this is one one of the many infallible proofs. He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. He was also seen by over 500 people at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he had also seen James, probably the half-brother of the Lord, then also all the apostles, not beyond the twelve that were sent out. There were many others sent out, like Paul the Apostle himself. And last of all, he was also seen by me also, one born out of due time, where the Lord revealed himself on the road to Damascus. In Romans 10, it tells us this, these three things. In Romans 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus, that the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There it is. If you believe in Jesus, believe what? That he died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried and rose again on the third day, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confessions made unto salvation. It doesn't, you don't have to confess it with your mouth. There's people that are mute. There's people, I've seen people with tubes down their throats and they're in the last hours of their life. And I tell them the gospel, and, and I say, if you believe that, just squeeze my hand. And they squeeze my hand. They just, their eyes sometimes tear up, and you can just see it. 
And after that, I'll say, now in the name of Jesus, you're saved. And they just, oh, peace comes over them. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is over all and is rich to all who call upon his name, even if it's just in the quietness of your own heart. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you guys remember the thief on the cross? What did he say? This is all he said. You compare all three gospels. Lord Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What did Abraham believe? He said, look at the stars of heaven. That's how many kids you have. And it says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. They had faith in the nature of God. They had faith in who God was. They had faith in the word of God. That thief, he saw how Jesus was acting. Father, forgive him. They know not what they do. He saw the kindness that he spoke to all those around him in the seven sayings on the cross. And he realized, this guy would forgive me. This guy would be gracious. I realized, Lord Jesus, when? In the future, you come into your kingdom. He believed in Jesus. He believed that he would raise from the dead. He believed he was king. He believed he was Lord. When you come into your kingdom, when, future tense, kingdom, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, none will be put to shame. In Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourself. It's a gift of God. John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There it is. This is a day of resurrection, hopefully for every one of us. But if you're at home right now and you're saying, man, I don't know if I... I'm right with God. I don't know if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. You should. You should have confidence because it's only by faith alone, trusting in God's grace. Don't trust in yourself. I'm not trusting in myself and my goodness, my righteousness. Trusting in Christ and him alone as a gift. God loves you. This is why he sent his son. Jesus loves you. That's why he willingly came. Nobody took his life, Jesus said, very clearly, but I lay my life down for the ransom to buy us out of our slavery of many. Whoever will come, let them come. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And right now, let's just pray. And if you're here needing Christ to come into your life or you need to rededicate your life to the Lord, just cry out, God, forgive me. I realize now the importance of the resurrection. I realize now why it is that I must believe in you. And I do believe in you, Lord Jesus, that you, an innocent lamb of God, with no sin, without spot, without blemish, you were the perfect sacrifice. You were man. You could be our substitute. You could be our sacrifice. You're God in spirit, eternal God. And you could have, not just for my sins, but for sins of the whole world could be forgiven. I receive it. I receive as a gift from you, Father, your Son, to be my lamb, my substitute. I believe in you, Jesus, to be my mediator, my high priest. And I believe that you died, 
clearly dead three days. But on the third day, you rose again, conquering all my sin and death and all my victory that needs to happen in this world. That now all things can be worked together for good because I love you and I'm seeking now to live for you. That I don't ever have to worry or be afraid about tomorrow, no matter what happens. And tragedies are going to come. Tribulations are going to come. Persecutions are going to come. Sickness is going to come. But it doesn't matter because you've already had a plan that none of these things, no weapon formed against me would prosper. Everything that comes my way, you're going to turn it around for good. I trust you. All fear is gone. I believe in you, Jesus. You have me in your hands, just like, you know, every sparrow that falls from the sky. You know, have every number of my hairs on numbered uh, that are on my head. You have numbered. I trust you, Lord. You've got me. Your name Right now, if you've believed in God or you pray that prayer, God's written your name in the book of life. You're his child. He's smiling. It says, one sinner repents. All of heaven rejoices. If you rededicated your life to Christ, you've walked away. Or if you're believing in him right now, just know that God has received you. All of heaven is rejoicing. Lord, thank you for this day of resurrection. In Jesus' precious name. Amen, amen.